Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels. Getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And this week, Channeling Brussels comes to you on International Women's Day. It's been a wild year in women's issues. Activists were just trying to come to terms with the issues that Donald Trump brought into the White House with him when the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke. And the extent of sexual harassment that society has tolerated was laid bare. Depressing, yes, but empowering, too, as movements including Me Too and Time's Up were born. Names were named, and some shameful were shamed. Now, while those events started in the U.S., Social media means they ripple across the Atlantic almost immediately. And here in Brussels, Me Too had much the same effect as in the U.S. Women started coming forward with stories of long-running abuse, aggression, and apathy by those who were supposed to rectify such situations. Many of the ugly scenes had happened in the European Parliament, and the very few women who reported it felt abandoned by the processes that were in place supposedly to protect them. Now some parliamentarians are working to get new legislation in place that means victims of sexual assault will get justice, and perpetrators too. Europe also hosts some shining examples of progressive gender equality. In Nordic countries, gender equality averages 80%. It drops sharply everywhere else, down to 40% in some countries, for an EU average of 66% across the 28 member states. I got those figures from someone who spends an awful lot of time trying to improve them. Christina Galak is the European Council's gender equality advisor. Many of you out there will have known her in previous positions as the spokesperson for Javier Solana for his 15 years as the head of both NATO and the European Council. She was most lately the United Nations Undersecretary General for Communications and Public Information before she came back to Brussels. Now, throughout that time, Christina has been an advocate and mentor for women's empowerment, including, I should confess, my own. This is the first time I've interviewed her in her latest role as gender equality advisor. Thanks for making time for me in your busy day. It's a real pleasure. In between all your Women's Day programs. So when we, when we look at, at the past year, between last Women's Day and this Women's Day, um, do we have a better situation or, or do we simply now know how bad it was? I think we have a better situation from the point of view that there is more awareness and the mobilizations we have seen throughout 2017 due to political changes, in particular in the United States, that you remember mobilized all these uh, marches with the, the pussy hats. Second, with these terrible developments that had been happening for some um, months, in fact years, and that they came out in, in these communities which are influencing so much in the world, like uh, the star system, the Hollywoods, etc., the Me Too. So yes, the awareness is much bigger. I think that uh, young generations are more involved than before. There had been for some years a little bit of all the gender issues provoked a certain fatigue. So yes, we are entering the March, 8 March 2018 in a, in a better situation in terms of the awareness and the mobilization, which should lead 
if we do it consistently, if we engage, uh, should lead to a better situation. We all know that progress has been at a snail pace for the last years, but we also know that uh, nothing comes easily. Pay gap has been another very important mobilizing factor. So generational change, Me Too, um, political mm, changes that can have important impacts. All this made that we are in a situation where sound policies that mainstream equality will be more successful than before. At least that's what we are trying to do. Uh, but when we look at, at what's happened uh, here in Brussels, I don't feel like the momentum has been as big. In the States, you started seeing heads of major organizations, of major companies. I mean, besides just Weinstein, um, you had, you know, fallout at Fox News. You had uh, all of these um, all of, of these big names. Here in Europe, we haven't seen that. Tell me why this is. And I should I should say now that, Christina, you have been... You are a fixture in Brussels. You were at NATO for five years, in the European Council for 10 years, the UN for two years, and back at the Council now. Yeah. You've seen it all in this town and across the ocean. Well, yes, I've seen quite a lot. But I'll tell you, you are right. The big names, the big mass mobilizations happen in the United States. But there is a factor that social media brought it all over the world. So I think this is a, a very important change of transmission that creates a global community. And it is true, less women in the streets of uh, Brussels, for example. Although there was and, a big march. Lights, but, lights was big. Exactly, a big march. And you know what? There is a boom of networks. The that is true. networking spray that gathers women, young and not so young, women's that, women that support each other. So there is a movement of, I think, solidarity going out. And there is also a movement that wants to shape different leadership and transform the culture of our organizations. So, yes, the big, big thing that happened in the United States, maybe because the United States was very bad on certain issues, I, I don't think uh, uh, um, um, anybody is out of blame on, on the state of, uh, in terms of equality, but uh, have not happened here. But I see some symptoms, very important symptoms, in Europe. There is one issue in Europe which I am worried about, is that the mainstreaming, the gender perspectives, the inclusiveness, the um, vision that we need to transform the culture of our organizations uh, uh, is not yet happening. We don't see governments that take the equality topics and mainstream across the, the system, across the different ministries. We don't see this in the European Union yet. Um, I think there, there has to be more work on that, on this, what we call putting on the lens, the equality lenses, and say, okay, what do we do on work? What do we do on pensions? What do we do on health? What do we do on education? They are the topics that are going to be transforming our lives. So the mainstreaming has to happen there. So 
I see the mobilization that is demanding this type of mainstreaming. I see the young people and I see social media being very, very um, active. So uh, in this um, uh, gray mud, um, we can shape uh, probably a few good things. The, 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 this year's uh, motto of International Women's Day, Press for Progress, is, is a great one because that shows the need to pursue and the need to advance and recognition of what has been happening, but also of how much has to happen, which is in fact a, a situation that uh, uh, has been with us for, for many, many years. Are you then underestimate the energy of the millennials and the post-millennials and the young generation of women that say, we are not going to take this anymore? And they are the ones that come out, organize networks, uh, gentle women's network, leaderized network, women in international security network. Um, you know what I just got invited to? League of Badass Women Brussels. Do you know about them? I don't fantastic. even... I, yeah. On another one... I the, didn't even know about the, them. the Brussels Binder. The Binder is the a huge binder project. The Binder is a huge project because people are... Women are fed up of not being in um, places where... Matter. Let's explain because, about that because it's some of our friends who started absolutely. that, and that is where women women sign up to be recognized as experts in their field because they're tired of of all the articles quoting male think tankers and male uh, scientists and male authors, and we have so many manuals. We also have EU Panel Watch where they call out. Uh, the people who don't invite women as as experts, uh, primarily on panels and as speakers and and things like that, and so far it's getting a lot of attention. Brussels Binder, exactly, and this is uh, so much needed. It is impossible whenever there is uh, a Nobel Prize being awarded or an expert uh, producing some news that those that will comment, whatever the field, are going to be men. How is it possible if the majority of the graduates of our universities are women? So there is something wrong here, and now women start to get organized to be more present. We have to make a, a, a stop to all these, um, uh, you, you mentioned mammals, uh, the male-only panels. So those are, those are symptoms uh, and examples and uh, demonstrations of a lot of energy. Mm? Let me, just for a moment, I, I want to go back to this, but let me finish up on, on the Me Too movement because um, I've been speaking with people about, about where this has gone, and basically it hasn't gone anywhere. In, in, in the European Parliament, for which you are not responsible, but you're interested, um, they still, for example, don't have... Uh, gender awareness or harassment awareness training that's mandatory for everyone working there, much less for the members of parliament themselves who are among those who have been named confidentially as harassers. Um, is this something that, that, I mean, is this also true in, in the council in across the EU institutions? I mean, in companies in the U.S., we had that training decades ago, uh, mandatory. So, I mean, that just, I, I don't understand. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> right. Um, in issues like harassment, we are very declaratory. We say zero tolerance. <laughs> so we declare, we declare that there is zero tolerance, um, and we leave it to the circumstances, to specific situations, to do the follow-up. In the case of uh, my organization where I work, we are declaratory. At the same time, 
I'm trying with the help of uh, my hierarchy, who are very supportive, to be more incisive. So uh, cases of um, um, open uh, sexual harassment uh, from the information we're gathering and the support we're giving to, to, to victims, um, there are, I would say, very few. Uh, at least that uh, they kept been coming to our attention. What, yes, we see is conflictual relationship where um, uh, moral and psychological harassment happens. And those are um, to be treated um, uh, in a category that needs a lot of support for the persons that feel it's in such a situation. Protection uh, also. Protection. We have a system of um, confidential counselors. Um, in fact, one of the proposals I've made to my hierarchy is to make this, this system of confidential counselors um, stronger, defining better the responsibilities and acting better, and producing some quote-unquote reports so that without naming anybody, because this has to be confidential, but that just the fact that uh, we disclose um, in general terms what has been dealing with this group of by this group of counselors there is an impact on prevention and there is an impact on uh, those that might be edging to the such a situation would, would, would uh, refrain so we are working on that I think the, the Do you think it's you, right not to name names? I mean, there are people who've gotten away with an awful lot I who need to be that, brought to account. I think the names uh, in in the cases which are overt uh, harassment. Yes, I I, I recall one case uh, which uh, I was made aware because it was before I I was doing the job I am having now uh, that um, he was basically dismissed. So there was action taken. Uh, I think this is an issue in which we need um, the declarations, the, the statements, zero tolerance, and then we have to find ways and means to ensure that uh, the colleagues are protected and, and that the situations are... The um, colleagues who have been harassed mean, are protected, yes. you mean? And, and in general, yes, in general, the colleagues <laughs> that have been harassed. Um, in terms of the work uh, environment, um, the European institutions have all the ingredients to be a wonderful work environment because there is job stability, because there is progress, um, might be slow. They pay very be, well. <laughs> the salaries are in the upper ranking. Um, so uh, there is no reason whatsoever for not having the best uh, work not only work environment, work-life balance possible. Absolutely. Mm, uh, we declare to that policy, and uh, I can only say that this is not something that you reach and it's done. You tick the box. You have to constantly work and continue taking policies and measures to make uh, the, the, the workplace um, uh, an inclusive and, and balanced, uh, balanced one. So do you go around sticking your nose in these situations well, and asking a lot of questions that people don't like to be asked? I go around listening in particular to, to people. I think it's really important. Those that might have a conflict uh, might be not uh, 
be a harassment issue, but might have just be a relational conflict, which could deteriorate to harassment one, and then uh, suggesting ways to 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 tackle the issue. Usually, you have to do some conciliation. I think it's very important, and on that I can signal that here we are quite um, um, in the right place, that the leadership uh, speaks out. Um, when the MeToo campaign started in the European Parliament because of the cases of parliamentarians, our director general, William Chapcott, wrote a blog in the, um, in the in internal uh, uh, communications website uh, so strong that um, it really uh, improved, you know, it really showed um, his determination. So it was, I think, a good sign. That doesn't mean that we cannot just close the eyes and say, well, we are all fine, this is a wonderful place. I, I think because uh, whoever is here, you know, human beings, we know that with human beings you had you have uh, uh, changes. Hmm? Yeah, you have failings. Um, but yeah. the more we hear about it, hopefully people at least will be a little bit worried that they can't act with impunity anymore if, if they were. Um, tell me more about um, what the European Union might do now that it's being made aware. I mean, you're not at the Commission, so you're obviously not involved in drafting legislation. But at Parliament, they say that um, they've passed this directive saying, again, declaratory um, policies that we don't accept it. We're going to root it out. We're going to train people, this kind of thing. But um, there are no laws actually... Um, strengthening the illegality of discriminating on the basis of gender. Um, there are no new laws. And they said that would have to come from, from the commission and um, parliamentarians who are working on these issues would like more legislation. And then it could also be, then it also makes member states pay attention if they would have to I transpose it. All what is European Union has number of layers and levels. So one thing is legislation, anti-discriminatory legislation uh, on all issues uh, that affects the whole membership of the European Union, all the countries, the citizens. And here we have the international conventions, uh, we have um, an, um, a number of broad legislations on anti-discrimination. But you are right that when it touches certain specific issues, um, which are more related to, for example, the internal policies, uh, the, the hirings, the uh, statutes, uh, they are all um, perfect in terms of anti-discrimination. So what we need is uh, implementation. Um, and follow-up, I guess. And follow-up yeah. and mm -hmm. internal bodies that alert internal bodies in every organization, the European Commission, the Council, the European Parliament, that, that keep an eye on how things are. And um, equal opportunities teams that uh, stick the nose on the internal policies or that um, uh, um, ensure that when uh, um, uh, there are issues in which we see that not all the, the inclusiveness is uh, happening. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the European Union, our society now, the member states, you just have to walk around our cities and countryside, um, the population is more diverse than what is the diversity of the officials. So what is happening, we are might not be getting 
the right ratios of different races and cultural uh, backgrounds, etc. Let me sum it up. Everyone's like, white here. You, you <laughs> sum it up very well. Yep. Everyone is white and the European Union is not. not anymore. So what is happening? We all hire through what we call the internal processes, examination process, very, very painful. So maybe we are not bringing the graduates of the universities as we want to those exams. So then we can get a more diverse um, uh, a pool of officials. So this is a big, big challenge. So diversity becomes critical and it is not only gender diversity, it is also intergenerational diversity. It is Everybody's uh, old and white. Everybody's <laughs> old and white. So oh, no. uh, um, uh, intergenerational diversity, gender diversity, we need to to prone to 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 elaborate and be mindful of these uh, uh, um, uh, issues in our human resources, in the manner in which our relations with the staff associations and how you know there is this uh, dialogue with with the personal, and then at the same time we at the same time we have to work with member states. Uh, member states have their own legal uh, um, systems and processes, and uh, certain things that are happening in some member states are more boring than others. In general, if we have a, uh, the, the 100, 100 would be total equality in the European Union, the uh, gender equality is 66%. So you have 100 20, uh, total equality, uh, the uh, gender equality is 66 In the European Union. Do you know what In it is? all the oh. 28 Oh, if you take states. the average. If I take But the that's average. averaging Sweden yes. and Finland. Which goes to <laughs> close to 80 yeah. and others which are closer to 40. So um, that mm. means we have a lot to do in all these areas, including in the, in the, in the areas of um, uh, violence against women including in the areas of course education, including in the areas of um, work-life balance, uh, the, the pay gap. Age of pay first gap. marriage. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, uh, I think we have the question of gender equality so wide. It affects every single aspect of our life because uh, even if we are, um, you know, men or women, we there are some qualities which are traditionally considered to be male qualities, masculine, I would say, and others feminine qualities. So the best is the balancing of, of, of the qualities that would be more masculine and the qualities that would be feminine so that we are all more balanced. Um, human beings. You know, I looked back at an interview I did with you five years ago when the EEAS was being set up and members, okay, so it started with there were very few women ambassadors and everybody was blaming Kathy Ashton at the time and I came to you and that wasn't your job at the time, but I came to you because you've always been a, a feminist um, and a mentor um, and said, what's happening? And you explained to me that... Um, how the system worked, that member states had to propose the women and you weren't getting qualified female applicants. And so you need to go down even further, dig deeper, say, why are the member states not proposing them? Do they actually not have them? Are they not looking for them? And so you really do have to start in, 
in the schools, in the local schools out in Romania or, you know, out in Germany or all of these, you have to, girls have to be told they can be a diplomat at the European Union or they can be an astronaut or they can be a firefighter or they can be a mom or, you know, or they can be anything. But if, if you don't have the, the female applicants, that's one thing. If they don't have the guts to apply for these jobs, that's another thing. If there's somebody on top of them not picking them, that's another thing. And your job, I suppose, now is to look deeper at that, isn't yeah. it? To figure out where the gap is because there is a gap. Absolutely, and I'll give you an example. Here in the council, we have um, a gender gap of um, 30 to 70 women in management posts. Imagine. What does that, mean? that means that. Oh, uh, there's only 30% 30 30 women, women managers. And 70. Okay. So, why? <laughs> Although in the last two years, there have been more. Um, about 50% of appointments have been women. So we are correcting that. What is one of the main problems? Is that women apply much less to jobs, to management jobs, than men. When they apply, the rate of success is higher. So what do we have to do? To encourage women and help them feel prepared. They are already prepared. They just have to feel prepare to go for it. And one of the projects I'm leading is is to support the eligible uh, women to um, have the right workshops and feel the right way so that when they go in front of a panel, because the panel will look for merit, um, they they show themselves the same merit. So uh, the what do you mean the same merit? The same merit that means that they oh merit yeah married, same merit yeah right? yeah same merit. So uh, uh, for for us this is an important lesson. Women apply when they feel they tick all the requirements, including the desirables. Men, if they if they um, <laughs> if they even if get they, close, they, <laughs> they get close, they go, and then you have uh, that's right. Of application I can say that myself. Which are yeah. Huge. And um, but then you have rates of success which are also um, in terms of women um, much much higher. So there is a lot that has to be done. I think we have to take the if we take the broad view, it is um, change of our w the way in which we look at things. This inclusiveness is fundamental. And then if we go deeper, each one into uh, uh, wherever we are, education or workplace. Uh, one of the things what sometimes women don't apply for jobs of managers is because they know they are going to have a terrible work-life balance. And all this can be changed if we organize our day work differently. If we um, uh, uh, ensure that uh, um, uh, you can manage teams in a different way. The pyramidal way of managing teams is absurd. Why women would like to be in a pyramidal way of managing things? What does that mean? It means that on the top... A one person on the top one and then... Person and the rest, you are... Okay, no, we want more of a rectangular type of management where there is interaction, everybody um, feels part of, and because the results of that team are going to be much better. And doesn't mean that then the one that is uh, in a higher position has more responsibility. Uh, so this is um, absolutely important to change the type of management that we are doing in order to encourage and have more women um, in those positions. Well, it seems like that would be good for men too, no? 
I think that would be fantastic for <laughs> men too. There is a statistics we are running now, which is more and more men in our organization opt for flexible work arrangements, in particular teleworking. Teleworking has changed everybody's lives, hasn't yeah, it? And that's thanks to technology. Let's talk about the first time yes. that I saw you. I already knew you, but the first time I saw you in Brussels by chance was when you were holding an interview on the telephone watching your children play at a park. And I had just moved to Brussels, my, literally my first se second day in Brussels, and I'm like, I know that voice. And there you are talking about heavy defense stuff or something on, on the phone watching your two children in a park. I mean, that's early telework capabilities, but you've always done it Absolutely. because you, ha you were a parent, right? Absolutely. I, I've I, always done it. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Terry, you are a, a practitioner of, of uh, uh, working in the working car. In the car. <laughs> uh, working well, in the bathrooms. Yes. Yeah. And um, this is absolutely necessary that also we learn to disconnect a little bit, but then that the flexible work uh, arrangements help us to become better citizens, not just better and, and more relaxed uh, uh, mothers. But huh? by that time, you were also one of the highest officials in mm -hmm. the building, yeah. and it's a lot easier to do that absolutely. when you're not... 25, when people already know you, people trust you when you are the boss. But, but you can empower other women you, this thank way. Thank you, Terry. I think that the millennials, the, uh, the post-millennials, demand it, uh, they demand more free time. They are less compromising on free time. Time is a currency that becomes more and more important. The generation of the baby boomers, I belong to that generation, we were ready to work 24 hours a day uh, and uh, be mega stressed, but get results and, and ensure things were advancing. Now the younger generations know how to use technology in a way that they will continue to be extremely efficient producing good results, but detaching themselves. I think this is fantastic. And we, in, some, in some things, we have to learn from them. We absolutely do. Um, okay, well, um, because you are in heavy demand on, the, the, on these Women Days issues, there are people lining up to talk to you today. So um, my last question, if we were to achieve better gender parity, better equality, Will it automatically follow that we won't have so many Me Too's? I mean, will it automatically follow that if you have 50-50 or even 40-60, I mean, a balance in positions, will it just be that women will feel stronger and that people won't get away with it? I think there is no doubt that part of the... Um, uh, these uh, terrible harassment um, situations and abuses that have come uh, open in the last um, months is because the voice of women was totally obfuscated by the terrible power, masculine power, testosteronish power that was dominating certain environments. We saw it in Hollywood environment, we saw it um, in other environments. Um, there is one example that is very close to me from the times I work at the UN, we had situations, unfortunately too many, one is too many, of uh, peacekeepers abusing, oh my the, gosh, I was abusing ask, those, yes. uh, the, the children, yes, and yes. NGOs, etc. Now you've got the Oxfam scandal, which is just terrific. We never had, you can imagine, any case when we had a women's uh, battalion deployed in 
awful places like Sierra Leone. They were helping the reconstruction of the territory, and we had women battalions in several countries in the world. So it's clear uh, more women in the armed forces, more women in in um, uh, uh, the entertainment industry, more women in corporate, more women in, um, in the institutions, more women in politics. Definitely we might still have cases, of course, because we, uh, we are human beings and uh, I think we are not deprived of, of um, terrible error, errors, but Definitely, this would, would stop, uh, at least at this uh, rate where you saw totally corrupted um, organizations. Well, I hope so. So this year's motto is Press for Progress, and I like the double entendre there. I'm a press, and exactly. I'm hoping for progress. Thank you so much for your time, Christina. It's always a pleasure. Thanks to you. And that's all our time for this International Women's Day episode. Thanks so much to Christina Galak for her time. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for sponsoring this international woman. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to Channeling Brussels. Join me next time.